Welcome back to The Word is Resistance, the podcast where we're exploring what Christian sacred texts have to teach us about living, surviving, even thriving, in the context of empire, tyranny, violence, and repression, a context in which we are living today. Through Christian scripture and our various traditions, what guidance can we find and imagination can we practice, as white folks, about our role in resistance, in showing up, in practices of repentance and liberation? My name is Reverend M. Jade Kaiser, formerly M. Barclay, but recently returning to my given last name. But mostly, I just go by M. My pronouns are they, them, and I am one of three co-directors and a co-founder of a collective called Enfleshed, where we create and facilitate spiritual nourishment for collective liberation. You can check us out at enfleshed.com. As I record this, I am on the land of the Chiso, Jumanos, Apache, and Kawawiltukan peoples. It is currently referred to as the Big Bend National Park. Each time I visit a place like this, I am grateful that the land has not been turned over to corporations or turned to private profit. But even more, I know the protection and thriving of the land belong in the care of indigenous tending. May we labor to make it so. This podcast is a project of surge faith and is particularly designed for white Christians. White Christians talking to other white Christians about race and white supremacy, about being a part of returning land and tending all our relations. We believe white Christians have a responsibility to commit ourselves to resisting white supremacy, to speaking up and showing up and disrupting white supremacy where we find it, especially through the Christian tradition. Any of us white folks who have grown up with a relationship to Christianity, whether conservative, liberal, evangelical, or progressive, have inherited Christian-specific facets of white supremacy that we have the power and responsibility to unlearn and imagine anew, including our conception of the divine. We do this work remembering we are building up a new world, This live recording of Dr. Vincent Harding's song for the Freedom Movement is of a multiracial movement choir practice in Denver, Colorado in December 2014, led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use the song for this podcast. I'm usually prone to a poem or some kind of prayer here, but to ground us this episode, I'm just going to invite you to pause in presence. As I prepare this, I'm surrounded by that kind of silence I can almost hear, if that makes sense. It's a nighttime and an early morning kind of silence, an outdoors kind of silence, the kind that makes me feel held by the dark or the dawn, by the night, by the ordinary daily call to rest and to rise. Join me for just 60 seconds, intentionally pausing, to remember that Often, at least, you can pause for a moment. Put the brakes on the pressure of the day. Notice your breath. Notice your surroundings. Feel whatever you're feeling. And be present, bodily, spiritually, mentally, for the next 30 seconds.
Dear ones, this is a heavy text. This week takes us to the cross, the site of state execution. I'll be talking through grief and state violence and what trans communities are facing. And this is just an invitation to check in and notice your capacity for heavy things this moment. Here now, the reading from Luke 23, 33 through 44. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, God forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. And the people stood by watching, but the leaders scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, God's chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. As hard as this text is, I feel grateful it's included in the lectionary in a time other than Good Friday. Of course, we need it there in that compact unfolding of Holy Week where a story of lifetimes and generations is boiled down to something with a kind of a start and a finish. It allows us to feel our way through multiple realities of collective life, engaging fear betrayal, systemic violence and power, and also community tenderness and rising again. But we need this part of the story to confront us again, with more space and time to linger with its difficulties, outside of the rush toward Easter. As I was first moving through my own reading of this text, thinking about how important it feels to face now, I was also thinking of how it's a day we're we come somewhat prepared, as prepared as we can be anyway. We know something of what Good Friday feels like in our body, mind, spirits. We have some expectations of what might come up for us, what matters to us about it, or how it has challenged us in the past. We can know the rhythms, and so we can move toward it with this kind of readiness for grief, for anger, for holding the hard things together. And as I was thinking and feeling through that thought, I was struck by how similarly it feels to me each year. As November 20th approaches. November 20th is Trans Day of Remembrance, and resonantly the very date for this lectionary text. 
It is a challenging connection. <laughs> Makes me weepy to talk through it. State violence against trans people. <clears throat> the criminalization of trans children and trans care and trans solidarity has escalated in and beyond legislatures the last two years, propping up political campaigns like Texas Governor's Greg Abbott that were only reaffirmed through re-election last week. These kinds of laws and the surrounding campaigns, when the legislation is passed or upheld or not, they kindle hatred and work to intentionally make cis people feel afraid. Teaching cis people to find trans people and our experiences threatening and troubling. This now, today, in a wider context that holds a difficult history full of thriving and surviving and finding our way as trans and gender variant peoples, but also of violence that we pause to remember each year on November 20th. State violence that works hand in hand with interpersonal violence, shaping each other as they always do. Violence that especially colludes at the intersections of global fights for basic rights and protections, poverty, misogyny, white supremacy, and significantly, stigma and laws against people who do sex work. When we come together to mourn the violence against trans people, especially those who have died directly by the hands of others, it is important to notice that we cannot engage the day's roots or realities without extending the solidarity of mourning and struggle with people who do sex work. Working to divest from the prejudices we have inherited about sex work, especially within Christianity, and also deepening into solidarity with those living in poverty, those on whom the police are called, and, and in a wider network of global siblinghood. Black and brown trans women, trans people in the United States and in Brazil, and immigrants in Europe and elsewhere, these are the people we remember on Trans Day of Remembrance. This all feels deeply entangled with the work we hope to do here through Surge. There is no racial justice without trans justice, and we could talk about that reality alone for months. But a few ways that I feel that truth are these. One, first, it is the history of white patriarchal colonialism that has led to the strict and only binary, as in two opposites, gender construction many are living within. It is wrapped up in histories of power and violence deeply entangled with racism and sexism. Transphobia goes hand in hand with both, and like all systems, it cannot be disentangled from the others. Second, black, brown, and indigenous trans and gender variant folks bear the greatest burdens under the policing and criminalization of trans people through the state and the streets. And as number three, as a white trans and non-binary person, I know our communities, including the, those of us who are trans, we need to tend specifically our relationship to trans siblings of color and our work for trans justice and liberation, deepening our solidarity and nurturing our sense of trans liberation, not as an individual goal, but as a collective reality where our BIPOC trans siblings lead the way. 
and last four, just like we talk about mutual interest here and ending white supremacy, how that frees everyone, including us white folks. The same is true of trans liberation. We all have a stake in this, cis people of every background. With that said, I'm thinking back to our text, holding the layers and the feelings of Trans Day of Remembrance, those we have lost this year, and also the wider context of an increasingly hostile stance towards trans people in all our contexts, even our children. Back in 2021, a dear colleague, Reverend St. Trumi, hosted a powerful Good Friday service that focused on trans people in this text. I'll put a link to the whole service in the resource section of the transcript if you'd like to listen. I'm sharing here an amended version of my part in that service, still, if not more, relevant today. From crosses to his left and to his right, siblings in condemnation. Like so many in trans communities, the report does not refer to them by their real names, what made them laugh, what brought them joy, what communities claimed and celebrated them. We know them only by their story of death and the judgments made upon them by the state, history, the church. Criminals. Those who broke the rules. Rules attached to power. These two beloveds never had a chance to tell their side of the story. One beloved is angry all the way to death. We get it. The other beloved, broken open with internalized shame, the other beloved, broken open with internalized shame, a sense of deserving this horror unfolding. We get it. This year, there was a barrage of anti-bills submitted across the country, criminalizing and discouraging our existence. Violent rhetoric and fear-mongering contribute to our conditions of struggle. Our sisters are demonized. Our young are abandoned. Our brothers are scapegoated. Our non-binary kin mocked and erased while those in power wash their hands of the consequences. But from the bowels of this racist, sexist, imperialist construction, sometimes we need but one person to remind us again we are born from the things of paradise and we know what it means to experience paradise today even in the midst of terror we do this by claiming the beauty of our lives the beauty of each other on our own terms paradise creating home for each other, celebrating and comforting one another, and loving the beauty of our bodies, of our spirits, of our communities. However they change or don't change, in hearing, the name, or in hearing our chosen names on the lips of our lovers, fighting for one another's right to thrive, to feel safe, to become, to be delighted, to be housed and fed and protected. Even in the midst of nightmares, we can make paradise. We encounter paradise, fleeting as it may be. We do understand. 
Rita Nakashima Brock and Rebecca, Rebecca Parker write that, quote, it took Jesus a thousand years to die. There's so much beauty in that phrase, uh, but what they mean in this case is that the way that the story of God has become so confined to God's death was not always the case. The first thousand years of the community of Christ did not center crucifixion. The tools and rules of the empire weren't the primary forces shaping their lives and faith. They say the community and its art was just a blaze with beautiful images of paradise, testifying to the truths of God alive here and now, even when it feels impossible to perceive. The reasons to live, the encounters with joy, the peace of ancestors, the power of collective organizing, the way we care for each other, that's paradise restored. We together choose not to let empire and its tools of violence define the terms of living our holy lives, taking something back from what was stolen something true, something real, even in those last moments of their precious lives, Jesus invites the two to his left and to his right to remember the cross is a source of lies. They are not deserving of this. They are right to be angry. This evil, this suffering, this terror, it doesn't define them. Their worth, their power, their communities, not even in death. Like we do for each other, Jesus ensures them that they are inseparable from the life of the divine that bore them, sustains them, and receives them. Though their lives will transition, though there is death and loss and pain, there is glory too. In love everlasting in a community who will question the stories told about them, who will celebrate their being, weep and remember and keep them alive in the pursuit of paradise today, in the work of abolition. For those like them, like us, and everyone seeking freedom generation after generation, we remember. And thanks be, we understand. In this week's call to action, I invite you to check out the Decolonizing Gender Curriculum. It's free and available at the link in the resources section. You can also just go directly to decolonizinggender.com. Spend some time getting familiar with the role of colonization and dominant understandings of gender today. I'd also like to invite you to consider making a donation to Surge. We split every donation with a movement partner doing amazing work, like that of Soul Force who works to end the religious and political oppression of LGBTQI people by decloaking the ideologies of Christian supremacy and healing our community spirits from weaponized religion. 
You can donate online at https colon forward slash forward slash bit dot ly forward slash surge sf. That's S U R J S F. Or find our podcast page at surge.org. We'll share the link on social media too. Thanks for helping support this podcast and organizing white people to show up for racial justice in the new world we're building together. Thanks, as always, for joining us. We'd love to hear from y'all, and especially folks of color and non-Christian folks, by commenting on our SoundCloud or Twitter or Facebook pages or filling out the survey on our podcast page at surge.org. Give us a like or rate us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you check out our podcast. You can find out more about Surge at surge.org, where you can sign up for Surge Faith updates and find transcripts for every episode. These include references, resources, and action links. Next week, we'll have a resistance word from Reverend Ann Dunlap. And finally, so much gratitude for the work of our sound editor for this episode, Claire Hitchens. We appreciate you and your labor so much. Thank you. And so, dear ones, in remembrance of every trans beloved, in solidarity in and through the entanglements of gender and white supremacy and class and religious prejudices, in hope of a world where every cross has been abolished, every tool of state violence eradicated, May we go together in grief and honesty and the assurance we will rise again. I'm Reverend M. Jade Kaiser, and thank you for thinking, feeling, and being alongside me today. Rise, shine, give the glory. Rise, shine.